And we're back with another episode of 10 Questions with Tim, where you get to ask me any question that you want that is particularly driven by your faith in Christ. And uh, I'm here to make myself available to you. I have to confess that this is one of my favorite segments on this channel. I like to hear your questions. I like to hear what you're thinking, what's on your mind. And then I like to do my best to drive you to Scripture, to lead you to Scripture, and help you understand life, faith, and the answers that are available through the Scriptures uh, for the questions that we have today. A lot of questions came in. We actually had to cut back a ton of questions. Thank you for sending them in. And uh, some did ask multiple questions. And so in fairness, we're going to take a question, one question per person. Um, but that doesn't mean don't send extra questions. We'll just queue them up later for a future episode. This might have to go every week. I don't know. I love doing it. I don't mind being here. I'm glad that you're here. It's uh, 10 Questions with Tim. Let's get started. Okay, question number one was sent in very early on in the process, and let's put it up on the screen. Here it comes. Would love to know your thoughts and feelings about what to do or how to act while attending funeral services, mainly funeral services, well, for services, but funeral services mainly in the Catholic Church. I was very conflicted at a funeral mass last week. Having been born into a Catholic family and pretty much the only one that no longer practices Catholicism, everything is so regimented or man-made, and it seems very little is actually biblical. Well, thank you for the question. Uh, I believe this was, I believe this was anonymous. So let me um, let me unpack this for you very simply. the The Catholic Church uh, traditionally puts the authority of the church structure, the ecclesiastical structure, ecclesiastical is just a fancy word for the church, over the word of God. And so because it's so tied to a lot of tradition and man-made authority, man-implemented authority, it tends to disconnect from the scriptural mandates, what's mandated in scripture when it comes to our gathering together. The many things about the Mass that, that uh, I have a problem with biblically, the re-offering of Christ's sacrifice through the Eucharist is a problem for me biblically, for a lot of others biblically. Um, purgatory is a problem for me and many others uh, biblically. The um, laity clergy uh, hardline distinction is a problem for me and many Christians biblically. Uh, and and there's an, a host of other problems. I actually do a class in my church on Catholicism. It's a one-hour class. It's part of our starting point curriculum. If you're part of our church, you should follow through with uh, getting that, getting a hold of that. That being said, there's a lot of Christians in the Catholic Church. There's a lot of non-believers in my church. Uh, we we don't sit there and say uh, godly, not godly, godly, not godly to Christians who are practicing their faith with sincerity of heart. What we try to do is lead people to Jesus, the shepherd, and the truth of the Word of God. The Word of God uh, endures forever. Heaven and earth shall pass away, but my words shall by no means pass away, Jesus said. And the Word is the communication of God to man that endures for all time and is over all things. So the Protestant faith, which was an offshoot from the Catholic faith around the time of the Reformation with leaders like Luther and Melanchthon and others, uh, 
set to get back to the sources, the Greek and Hebrew texts, uh, set to get back to the truth of what the church was built and main and 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 called to do, uh, and set to eliminate a lot of the abuses of the Catholic Church. So so now we have this these two branches of Christianity, a historic Catholic faith, which does historically go all the way back to uh, the first century and the original Pope, although he wasn't made Pope until centuries later, the official Pope, Peter, until centuries later. And then you have Protestants. So Protestants meaning that they protested the abuses of the Catholic Church in the 1500s. Going to a service, especially a funeral service, is um, something that you do for the friend or the family. You don't have to feel conflicted about that. Uh, I, you know, you can go to a secular memorial service as a Christian, and 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 just to support or love or show love to a member, a family member, or someone that you care about deeply as a Christian. It doesn't mean that you're participating in that institution. Uh, I am. I'm thinking that your confliction mainly is rooted in the fact that you were born into a Catholic family and you're the only one left that doesn't practice Catholicism. You're the only one that no longer practices Catholicism. So, so that I get you there, and I think that you can go to the services. And I wouldn't participate in the Eucharist. I don't do that when I go to Catholic services. Uh, abstain. They are totally fine with you abstaining, and I would just show love and care and and respect for those around you. And as the Scripture says, as far as it depends on you, live peacefully with all men. Again. Want to be clear about something. I'm, I'm a friendly Protestant. I love our Catholic brothers and sisters. I believe that many of them are saved. Most of them who believe in the scriptures and believe in Jesus are saved. But the regimented, man-made um, uh, practices, if you will, the sacraments, if you will, these institutions by man to maintain or to um, effect your salvation, these are disconnected from the biblical mandates uh, that we find in the New Testament from the writings of Paul, Peter, and John, and those who followed Jesus. So I, I think that your confliction is mainly based on your past, and I think you need to hear me say it's okay for you to go. You're not, you're not abusing your faith or disavowing your faith by, by going, and I would, if I was you, I would show love and respect to your Catholic family as much as possible as a Bible-believing Christian. And I answered that question way too long just to give you a little bit of history so that you have a little bit more of a framework around what to say and how to act. Thank you guys for chatting over here. I can, I believe, I can scroll. It doesn't need to be scrolled yet. Hi, Kelly. Hi, Larissa. Hi, Kelly. Hi, Larissa. Hi, Luis. Riding around on your oil truck. So glad to have you guys here. Let me know that you're here in the chat. Love to see the chat as we go through the questions. Let's get to question number two, shall we? Question number two. Pastor Tim, do you believe that the church has a role to be a safety net for those who need help? If so, has the church failed, allowing the government to step in to become, quote-unquote, God to many of those people? Can the church play a bigger role in this area in the future, or is it too late? Thank you, Steve. Well, Steve, thank you for the question. And I absolutely believe that the church has a role to be generous with all people, but especially those who have faith in Christ Jesus. So what you see in the New Testament, in Acts chapter 2, in Acts chapter 4, is as soon as people uh, receive the Holy Spirit, you know, it's one of the signs of the Holy Spirit that we don't talk about a lot in Pentecostal charismatic circles, and I, I only mention those circles because that's where I come from. 
But one of the evidences that someone is filled with the Holy Spirit is a exceeding generosity with other believers. So in Acts chapter 2, at the day of Pentecost, they are filled with the Holy Spirit. They speak in tongues. Peter gets up and preaches after they accuse him of being drunk. And, and 3,000 people come uh, to the faith. And then it says that they... In verse 44, at the end of that chapter, they had all things in common. Verse 45, they sold their possessions. They distributed the proceeds to all as any had need. Okay, so there's a sign of tongues being for the Holy Spirit. There's a sign of power and boldness as exhibited in the life of Peter. And then amongst them all is generosity and this kind of release of their stuff for the sake of other people's needs. And then... 40, verse 46, day by day attending temple and breaking bread in their homes and praising God. Those are the signs of being filled with the Holy Spirit. Two chapters later, chapter 4, uh, same thing happens. They are filled with the Holy Spirit again. After they pray, the place is shaken where they are meeting. The Holy Spirit comes upon them. Uh, they are filled with the Holy Spirit. They continue to speak in, uh, the word of God in boldness. This is verse 31 of chapter 4. And then it says this, uh, Verse 32, now the full number of those who believed were of one heart, soul, and no one said that any of the things that belonged to him was his own, but they had all things in common, and, and they shared. Verse 34 says, there was not a needy person among them, for as many of owners were of lands or houses, they sold them, they brought the proceeds of what was sold and laid at the apostles' feet, and it was distributed as each to each as any had need. Now, two things about this, this, these passages. This is not a biblical mandate for communism and socialism. Because <laughs> this church in Jerusalem is dirt broke, not just 20 years later. And Paul has to raise money from the Gentile churches to bring a love gift to the Jerusalem church because they are broke. Socialism, communism, wherever it has been tried, has failed, including in this country, as we talked about on the deep end a couple of weeks ago. But this is a clarion call for generosity and for what you call here a safety net, although the word safety net is such a politically charged term, I don't like to use that. I would say the church has a role to be generous. The church has a role to make sure no one among them is needy. So that is our primary responsibility. Galatians chapter 6, 10, let us do good to all, especially to them who are of the household of faith. Uh, Galatians chapter 6, verse 2, bear each other's burdens, fulfill the law of Christ. Ephesians four twenty eight. let the thief no longer steal, but let him do something useful with his hands so that he can have something that he might share with those who are in need. Uh, Proverbs nineteen seventeen says that whoever lends to the Lord, whoever gives to the poor lends to the Lord. So you have verse after verse after verse saying, church, you got to take care of your own and you got to take care of those who have needs. But secondly, those outside of the church, we should be generous to them but primarily the church. Now, the church functions under the auspices of civil government or within the confines of civil government. And so the church, you know, I don't think a, a Bible, faithful Bible-believing Christian should expect the government. I don't think there's a biblical mandate in the government, in the Bible, for the government to be used as a social safety net for people. It doesn't mean we can't have certain forms of safety nets. I just think that people tend to be greedy. And Jesus warned about many forms of greed. We always think that the rich people are the greedy ones. But when Jesus says, beware of many forms of greed, he's talking to the guy that didn't get the inheritance from the father. So the guy that doesn't have stuff is actually greedy, not the guy that does have stuff. So greed can be a rich person's problem. It can be a poor person's problem. And it can be a secular risk problem. It could be a, a, a politically conservative person's problem. It could be a politically liberal person's problem. Watch out for greed because greed says, I need, I need, I need, I need, and it's all about me and I'll never have enough. And so I need more. 
where the Bible clearly calls us to generosity sharing because we will always have all that we need because God will provide for us according to his riches and grace and glory in Christ Jesus. So the church has definitely a role. It's not too late. The church is by far and away far more generous than their secular counterparts. Every study proves this. The church gives more to charities, not just their own churches, more to charities, more to social programs to help people out of poverty. Christians do far more good in giving than any other group of people. And I challenge anyone to present me factual statistical data that that uh, is the opposite of what I just said. So it's not too late. I think the church is doing a great job. I think that we are, because, to your point, because we have uh, in, in this country, I don't know if it's that the church has failed as, as much as it is that people are just greedy and lazy. The, the, the natural tendency of the sinful heart is laziness or apathy and greed. This is why Paul has to challenge the believers in 1 Thessalonians and 2 Thessalonians that if you will not work, you will not eat. And thus he says, that's how I, we lived among you. And so there's, there's Bible verses that con, uh, uh, commend working with your hands, enjoying the fruits of your labor all throughout the book of Ecclesiastes, all throughout the book of Deuteronomy and Exodus and the law. Work with your hands, provide for your family. Oh, there's another verse that says, if you don't provide for your own family, your own household, you're worse than an unbeliever. But these things are what we are called to do. I think that what we are living with is a selfish entitlement generation that has, that has decided God, uh, um, the government should be responsible for everything about my life. And, you know, this has been the trajectory of humankind for generations. We want a human to provide for us when, because we are so disconnected from, a, from faith in a loving God who will graciously provide for us. And all matters of faith really do come down to money and income, and we have to trust God and not the government. Uh, so I think that's the problem. I don't think that the church allowed the government to step in and become God. I think people, people allowed the government to step in and become God. Thank you for the question. Uh, keep the chat going, guys. Hello, Stephanie, Jessica Weaver. Hello, Cheryl. Uh, glad that you guys are here. Keep on chatting. Love to have this one-on-one or one-on-many connection virtually with all of you. Let's get into question number three. Question number three, what is your best advice on one spouse coming to Christ, but the other is an unbeliever? Well, I've answered this question uh, before in previous 10 questions episodes, and I want to answer it again. And I think that the reason why the question keeps coming up is because it is such a problem for so many people. When you're the believer who, uh, when you're the spouse who believes, it is your responsibility to obey Christ, to worship Christ, to put him first in your life, and then to pray for your spouse to come to Christ. And then to live honorably before your spouse as a Christian should live, regardless of whether or not they live as a Christian spouse should live. Now, that's very difficult. That's very difficult. It is a uh, challenging situation, although I will, I, will, I will say very confidently that just because two believers get saved doesn't mean everything's going to be peachy. Uh, there's always going to be a problem between married people, people who don't really know each other coming together to live, to each, live with each other for life. And it is a commitment, and it's going to challenge you, and it's going to irritate you, and it's going to grow you, and it's going to bless you. But it's always going to have some irritant level to it. When you're married to a non-believer, your job primarily is to love them and 
pray for them to come to Christ and then live as a believing spouse should live. So if you're the man, you lay down your life for your, your spouse, you love her as Christ loved the church, at least you ask for the Holy Spirit to help you to do that. You uh, provide for them. You lead spiritually uh, for them. And, uh, and then I would say, you know what? Invite them to church regularly. And here's what you do. You know, you, you don't have to be um, manipulative or pushy about it, but you have every marriage is based on, um, what am I trying to think of? Compromise. Uh, every marriage is based on negotiation. And so you do a negotiation. Uh, what what do they love to do? Go and do that with them and say, "Hey, it, it would really mean a lot to me if you would come to church with me. I know you're not. I know it's not your thing, but it would really mean a lot to me if you would come." That's another piece of advice for you. So do that in your negotiations. You know, they want you to go to the uh, I don't know the dance, or they want the they want you to go to a vacation spot you don't want to go to. All right, well, negotiate. Well, all right, let's do that on for your sake. How Can you come to church with me? <laughs> you know what I'm saying? And that's marriage. No, believers, non-believers, non-believers married to believers. And I would say, go for that kind of thing. That's my advice to you. And I'm going to pray for you. And I do pray for you right now in the name of Jesus. God, give them the ability to live faithfully before you as a believer in that situation in Jesus name. I hope that helps. Thanks for the question. Question number four, when someone is dealing with issues of the mind, body, and soul, is that a season of the Lord or Satan taking advantage of them when they were suffering? Elaine Bizek, and I know Elaine, she is a very committed deep ender or Tim Hetch liver. Uh, Thanks so much for the question, Elaine. So issues of the mind, the body, and the soul, these are issues that we are going to wrestle with in this age until the return of Christ or until we die. Whatever the issue, uh, I bring you to Romans chapter eight, for instance, let's just turn there for a second. And I, I like to have the Bible open as I'd answer these questions so that you can know I'm not just pulling things out of my hat. Um, but here's what he says in Romans eight eighteen: for I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us for the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God for the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope that the creation itself will be set free from the bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom from the, of the glory of the children of God. Uh, so, and then he goes on and he says, verse 23, and we, and not only the creation, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the spirit grown inwardly as we await eagerly for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies for in this hope we were saved. Um, so what Paul's saying there is the entire world order is disrupted by sin. Therefore we will have issues bodily, mentally, because the mind is part of the body and spiritually, no matter what we do. No matter how much we pray and no matter how much we fast and no matter how deep we get into scripture, I will say that scripture will always deepen your faith in the Lord. It will not always alleviate the suffering you experience. So you're going to, you're going to suffer. You're going to suffer for your faith. You're going to suffer for the name of Christ. You're going to suffer the loss of relationships, perhaps the loss of property, the loss of rights, who knows where it's going in this world, but we have hope. 
Okay, and then the very next thing that Paul says here is now hope that is seen is not hope. For who hopes what he, for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weaknesses, for we do not know what to pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. Ooh, so the hope is that there is a age coming where suffering and tears and pain are no more, where the lion lays down with the lamb and a little child will lead them, where we are at peace with God and ourselves and eternally forever, and, and every eye will see Christ. And the Spirit right now is in us to help us pray through these seasons. So I hope that helps. It's it's Satan. Yes, it can it can be Satan. It can be a demon. It can be a spiritual force in the heavenly places, as Paul says in Ephesians chapter six. And I want to bring you there because Ephesians chapter six, a very famous passage of scripture that should be very familiar to all of you. Uh, verse twelve. In fact, I don't even have to turn there. For we, for, uh, uh, but he says that we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, the authorities, the cosmic powers, the uh, over this present darkness against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God. So there's a fi- there's a battle going on for believers, and we have got to fight. And when you are dealing with these issues, it's not a matter of why or what. It's just a matter of fight and and turn and ask for the Holy Spirit to give you the words to say as you pray and get deeper into the Word of God so that you can be stronger in Him regardless of the suffering that you face. Okay, thank you so much for the question. Let's get into question number five from Hannah Dauber. What are your thoughts on the idea of God using secular type things, i.e. music, influencers, writers, etc., to teach us, even if it is a reminder in a moment? Thank you, Hannah, for the question. So what do I think basically of secular sources being sort of a teaching illustration for for believers i'm a big fan of it <laughs> now that might that might shock you because there's this there's this um false concept that unless it's in the bible i can't believe it or unless it's in the bible it it can't be true well there's another saying that kind of gives you a bracketed framework to to filter these things through all truth is god's truth all truth is god's truth okay so uh, the sun rises in the east, the sun sets in the west. Okay, that's the truth. Um, I'm not thinking uh, particularly right now of a very of a, a specific verse that sp- says that, but it's true, right? Um, the uh, solar system rotates or circles around the sun. Okay, well, that's not in the Bible, but it's true. Well, it's God's truth. So there's truth that's outside of the scriptures, but it's all God's truth. Now, when, and here's the test case, when there is a conflicting uh, statement of truth, that can, uh, conflicting meaning it conflicts with what's in this word, well, then we disregard it. So, of course, God uses secular things to teach us. A secular, where does that word come from? Oh, I forget where that word comes from. I think it means villager. No, no, no that's pagan. Sorry. It, secular me it is something that is not spiritual although i would argue that there's a spirituality to all things but anyway non-christian things god can absolutely use them to lead you to him so i take you to mars hill in acts chapter 17 or the areopagus as it is said in greek 
where Paul comes to Athens, where there's these debaters, the, the philosophies of the age and the ideas of the age, and they sit there and they babble all day. The Bible actually literally says that they had nothing better to do than to just talk about philosophies all day. Paul gets up and he preaches to them. And he says, look, I walked around, I saw your idols, and I saw this one over here, says, to the unknown God. And Athens was full of idols, and they were so full of idols, they even made one for, just in case they missed a God, they put one in there that said, for the unknown God. And Paul says, well, I want to talk about that God. So he uses their idol to talk about Jesus. And then he talks about the God who made the heavens and the earth. He's not served by human hands. He doesn't need anything. And, and then he says, but he... he put us on this earth to seek him, to find our way to him. It was a powerful, powerful sermon to all of these pagan philosophers. And then in the midst of his sermon, Paul literally quotes two Greek philosophers, uh, Epimenides and Aratus. And he quotes them in Acts chapter 17. Uh, let's go there, shall we? Acts chapter 17. Because these two philosophers are right their words are actually found in the Bible. This is quite interesting to me. Uh, verse 27, they should seek God and perhaps feel their way toward him, yet he's actually not far from each of us, for in him we live and move and have our being. Okay, that verse is a quote from Epimenides, Epimenides sorry, of Crete. And then he says, even as some of your own poets have said, for we are indeed his offspring. That's another quote there that Paul uses from Eratus's poem, uh, Phenomena. And that's why I have a study Bible in front of me because it's got the notation right there for me so I can cheat and tell you <laughs> who these quotes are from. Interestingly, Paul uses their own poets who were actually writing about Zeus. Okay, these poems were written for Zeus. And Paul says, let me tell you about the true Zeus. Let me, let me tell you about the God of heaven and earth, right? So this is kind of phenomenally exciting to me as a, as a proclaimer of the gospel because here's what I love to do is I love to say, well, let me find out what the secular poets are saying today and let me use that to drive people to Christ. I do this all the time with um, oh, Lady Gaga when she says, born this way, when she's saying that song, born this way. I'm going to talk about teeing it up for a good Bible preacher. Born this way. Hey, I got news for you. We're all born that way. We're all born sinful. That's why we need to be born again. I mean, I'm always doing that in my sermons because we can use the secular mind because they share the same human mind that we do or the same human condition that we do and they all go through the same things that we do and we can use their secular response to drive people to christ uh in fact it was uh one of my uh staff members search into um what's the thing with the left eye covered in the triangles what's that thing oh the the illuminati so Chris, he's on staff at our church, and he was really psyched out about this Illuminati stuff, and God used that to lead him to a desperate place, and he, we met, and then I pointed him to, G, to John, and he read the book of John, and he got saved. So, so the Lord uses secular things all the time to draw people to himself, and I think that's a good thing. I don't think that we got to be, you know, closed mind, so closed-minded that we can't appreciate or use or leverage the mantras or the music or the secular ideas of the day to open people's minds to maybe there's more to this life than you realize. Maybe there's a God who loves you. Maybe, maybe for instance, uh, racism right now is the original sin now. Now, now our country has identified racism is the only thing that really sends you straight to hell. 
Of course, we don't believe that as Christians. Uh, and then we also don't believe that racism is the original sin. Original sin is the rebellion of man against God. The original sin is you shall be as gods, the search to be our own gods. And so in the search to be our own gods, we are also redefining original sin because after all, we've made ourselves God. And so now original sin is racism. And the only thin, sin that you cannot commit in this world is racism. You can sleep with anybody you want. You can have uh, you know, immorality all over the TV. And the, you, can have, you can smoke yourself into oblivion. You can drink yourself into oblivion. You can whatever jump in and out of marriages jump in and out of bed but 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 don't be a racist okay that one mm -mm. we're canceling you for anything that you ever said that was racist ever or tweeted and so now we have this redefinition of christianity well that, you know what that is you know what that is the great thing about that is it's all the christian concepts all the the theological concepts of salvation are actually in the social justice movement, the the woke movement. They're just redefined. So racism is original sin, and then social justice is good works, and then you know there's confessions of being an ally, uh, what we would call confessions of uh, you know doctrine and belief systems to be a Christian, and then um, there's reconciliation, and well, all of those things are just uh, distorted versions of the real thing. Our problem is not our hatred toward mankind. Our problem is our hatred toward God. That we aren't racists, we are speciesists. We are we hate God. We are at enmity with God. And our real justice issue is that justice demands that we pay for that hatred. Justice demands that we go to hell. And yet God in his grace has given us Christ Jesus who just is justifier and uh, satisfies the justice of God at the cross and brings us back to himself in reconciliation so that we do good works. Boom. All right, that's as cool as it gets. Every, every human has the same issues spiritually, and we can use these secular terms and terminologies to say, well, wait a second, that is actually pointing to this, just like Paul does in Acts chapter 17. I hope that helps. Thanks so much for the question. Uh, let's get over here to the chat, see what everybody's saying. Uh, talking to you guys uh, here on the chat. Thanks for saying, uh, thanks for letting me know you're here, guys. Uh, talking a lot about The Chosen Show. Good, good, good. Listening in Wisconsin. Jim Brewer, yeah, that's my cousin. Hey, Jim. Oh, my gosh. So glad that you're here. Terry Powers, Minnesota, glad that you're here. Keep listening. Jim, why... We haven't connected in so long. Send me an email. Anyway, <laughs> let's get into question number six. As a Christian, how do you know what TV shows, movies, books are okay to indulge yourself in? How do you know what you can enjoy and what you should stay away from? Um, so thank you for that question as well. Uh, let me answer this question because I have a long history in my childhood of legalistic Christianity. Legalistic Christianity is uh, if <laughs> I always I always make fun of legalistic Christianity by saying it's basically if it's fun it must be sin so stop it um, <laughs> and I want to make sure that you guys are clear about this that we we can't possibly live like that we can't say everything is everything that's not spiritual and Christian is sinful and so stop it okay. This is, this is where we really tie people up with a lot of bondage, and then we fill them up with guilt, and then we it's usually used to control people. Uh, that's what legalism is about. So I don't want to be legalistic, but I do want to encourage you about a couple things. 
when when you think about TV shows, movies, and books, you're you're looking at entertainment options. And the word entertain means to capture someone's attention for a prolonged period of time. Actually, I looked this up earlier. It's coming. It comes from a French word, entertainer, which means to keep someone in a certain frame of mind. That's what entertainment is, to keep someone in a certain frame of mind. So before we get to the what, I would like to say the, I would like to discuss the how much. It's not necessarily about the what you see, because you can't stop yourself. You really can't, in today's age, stop yourself from seeing things that you shouldn't see. A billboard with a sexy woman is going to be on the street, and a guy's going to look, okay? And you're going to get the email spam that leads you to a porn site, and you're going to get, uh, you're going to see violence on the news, uh, you're going to see violence on pretty much every entertainment option out there. You can't not see this stuff. So before we talk about the what, we got to talk about the how much. Because it's about the time you let your mind stay in that frame, right? It's about how much you're you're meditating. And the word meditate is to think about again and again and again. So that's my primary concern. And so when it comes to what TV shows, movies, or books you watch... What TV shows or movies you watch or books you read, my question is more of what are you meditating on? What are you letting your mind stay with for a prolonged period of time? Because whatever that is, it is going to become part of who you are. The longer you, That's why Jesus says in John uh, chapter 15, what does he say to the disciples? He says, I want to get there because I love this. Verse four, abide in me and I in you as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. So what is he saying by abide? He's saying, I want you to stay with me. It's meno in the Greek. It means to remain, to stay, to abide, to live. Spend time with me and you will produce much fruit. If you don't spend time with me, you will produce nothing. This is what God is saying. This is what Jesus is saying. And so you've got to think about the amount of time. Nothing wrong with entertaining yourself. Nothing wrong with watching television that you enjoy. Nothing wrong with reading a book that has nothing to do with Christ that you enjoy the story. I mean, I encourage this, actually. I think you should read secularists. I think you should know what they're saying. I think you should widen your, eye, your mind in terms of information. But when it comes to what you are feeding your spirit... Jesus. Got it? So if you're not feeding yourself Christ, if you're not spending time with him and only spending time with TV, books, and movies, if that's all you do, you've got a problem. You won't bear fruit. You won't know the Savior. And you'll feel, be filled with anxiety and, dis, and, and pride and lust and all the spiritual forces of this wicked world. Okay? So that's my admonition to you. I, I, I don't want to say, okay, if it's R-rated, don't go see it. Because The Passion of the Christ was R-rated and you should go see that movie. Um, but you should have an attitude of my body and my mind, my spirit and my mind are a garden. What seeds am I sowing regularly into that garden? Because those seeds will produce fruit. And I and I think you want good fruit to come out. Now, as a point of reference, check out Plugged In dot com plugged in dot com so that you can make an informed decision before you buy the movie or rent the movie or download the movie 
And then check out VidAngel. We're going to put a link in the description down below of this video. I actually had them uh, load this up. I don't know if it's there already. Because VidAngel put out this video ad about what they provide. And you should watch that because it talks about the details of the objectification of women in movies, the allure of sex and how it's used to sell everything, uh, how women's bodies are used always for advertising. I mean, this is my problem with the Me Too movement. The Me Too movement was basically Hollywood uh, projecting their own guilt upon the rest of the country. Really, what, that's what it was. Because Hollywood has been objectifying women for 50 to 60 to 70, no, 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 longer than that, years. And now they turn on us and they say, shame on America for objectifying women. Well, you're the ones that led the way. I'm sorry, you're the ones that led the way. And, uh, and, and then, uh, so watch the video that's down below because they talk about the objectification. They talk about the amount of murders that you see on television. It's all very true facts. It's very crazy to think about it. Um, it, one of the facts that they talk about in the video is how often do you see in a movie that the sex scene is the guy, you know, playfully kind of forcing himself on the girl, like is playful in the movie. Well, then, you know, a lot of guys, they don't have the, 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 the mindset to know when enough is enough. And so they just think, oh, that's what guys do. That's what real men do. And you gotta be careful about those things. So anyway, um, I've said too much. <laughs> I hope I answered the question fully for you, and I thank you for it, and I want you to be fruitful, and so does your Savior. Amen. Let's get into number seven. Hi, Pastor Tim. Is it godly to be in a lawsuit trying to seek money for retribution for a car accident, which injury, loss of money, vehicle, health, and injury happened, etc.? Is it wrong to be praying for God to help with a lawsuit? I need to know. Well, thank you for the question, Pam. Um, Pam Nelson. Thank you for the question. So is it godly to be in a lawsuit trying to seek money for retribution? Two things. Christians have two relationships, and this is very important to understand. Christians have a relationship with Christians, and then they have a relationship with non-Christians. And there are different rules. There are. There are different rules. There are different standards for those two relationships. You don't do everything with Christians that you do with uh, you don't do everything with non-Christians that you do with Christians, such as marrying them on purpose, if you're already a Christian before you get married. But but we have to maintain a mindset of how we handle our relationships with Christians in this kind of setting. So it's, if the person that you are suing is a Christian, why not first appeal to them as a Christian? Why not? For, and again, I'm sure that there is no personal relationship in what you're talking about here. So just let me just unpack something first, give you a framework, and then we'll get into your question. When you have something monetarily disputed between you and a Christian, seek to appeal to them as Christians or rather be wronged. That's what 1 Corinthians chapter 6 says. Rather be wronged because the testimony of the church is at stake here to the non-believers in the world. The testimony of the church. If we're all suing each other, which a lot of Christians are suing each other, especially in the, sec in this, in the Christian celebrity culture, they sue each other left, right, and center. When we're doing that, the world is looking and saying, I got enough drama. Thank you very much. Don't want to do that. Don't want to be a part of that. So there's that. You, and then Paul says, bring it to the church. Bring it to elders. If they're in your church and you have ought against them, if they're not listening to you, well, bring it to your elders. That's why the church has to have elders. You don't have a church without elders. And the elders who are spiritual should make a decision that is, that is good and fair for both people based on the arguments of both people. Now, when it is a non-Christian or a secular entity, such as an accident in this case, I would say that with reason and with wisdom that God will give you, if you ask for it, you can fight your case legally to the nth degree. This is what Paul does in the book of Acts 
uh, Acts chapter 21 or 22, he's about to be flogged. And the honorable, noble thing would be, hey, bear the marks of Christ, Paul. Get flogged. Christ will bless you for it. But he doesn't let it happen. He actually turns to the guy chaining him up and says, is it lawful to, to flog a Roman citizen? And the guy says, well, I paid a lot of money for my Roman citizenship. And he goes, yeah, but I was born a Roman citizen. And you couldn't flog. It was illegal to flog a Roman citizen. So Paul gets out of the flogging because he used the legal defense system to get out of it. I mean, he's not a fool, right? Uh, later in the past, in the chap- in the uh, book of Acts, he appeals to Caesar. He defends himself in court. Uh, at one point, when he's, up, when he's in front of the Jews, he divides and conquers because he says, I believe in the resurrection of the dead. And because he saw that there was half Pharisees, half Sadducees, the Pharisees believed in the resurrection of the dead, the Sadducees didn't. He says, I believe in the resurrection of the dead. That's what I'm trying for today. And the Pharisees, the Pharisees are like, well, there's nothing wrong with this guy. And the Sadducees are like, no, he deserves to die. And then they start fighting. And Paul's like, all right, see ya. I'm out of here. I mean, it's a hilarious moment because he's fighting to defend himself and keep himself out of prison for as long as possible. He fights for his rights to the nth degree. And Christians, you absolutely can do this. With reason. That was the first thing I said. With reason. Okay, so my son got hurt at work the other day, and he had to get seven stitches, and we went to the hospital and all that stuff. But, but somebody said to him, now you can sue and get a bunch of money. And we're like, no, no, we're not those people. He's fine. His injury will heal, and they're going to pay the doctor's bills, right? So if they weren't going to pay the doctor's bills, maybe we'd do something about that. But they were going to pay the doctor's bills. They're going to pay the doctor's bills. So with reason. And thinking about your testimony to the world and what it looks like to non-believers, that's how you have to approach these issues. Getting back what you lost in an accident is completely acceptable. But, you know, getting mildly hurt, slipping and falling, and then bilking the system through insurance fraud is not acceptable, both in the civil order and, of course, in the biblical order. So I think that you have my blessing to get retribution and I hope by retribution you mean get back what you lost, okay, in whatever legal action that you need to take. Thanks for the question, Pam. I appreciate it. Let's get into question number eight. Two questions lumped into one. Uh, here we go. I work for Kent Hospital. Now they are mandating the vaccine. If we don't take it, we will be fired. What, do you, what would you do and why? I have not taken it yet. And the second question that is lumped together because they are They are similar. My employer is maintaining that I get vaccinated by a certain date or get terminated. The only exemptions are religious and or medical. While I am against the vaccine for many personal beliefs and reasons, it isn't technically against the religion of Christianity. What are your thoughts on this topic? All right. So the the mandate is becoming a bigger and bigger issue for people. And I would just uh, like to say that I think as Christians, we should pray for peace in this situation. I think we need to pray for our leaders as we always need to pray for them. So far, so good with uh, government not mandating the vaccine. However, that being said, there is a lot of mandated vaccines. You can't send your kids to public school if you don't have certain vaccines. You can't do certain things in this country if you don't have certain vaccines. The difference is that this vaccine is so new. So this my issue with this vaccine is not that it's a vaccine. I'm a big fan of vaccines. I don't want polio. I don't want smallpox. I, you know what I'm saying? But this one is so new. And it does not have full FDA approval as emergency FDA authorization, which means it has not been through the rigorous testing necessary to get to obtain full FDA approval. That's my problem with this vaccine. That being said, 
I know a lot of medical people there in my church who have gotten the vaccine and they are fine and they are pro-vaccine. And I respect their opinion as well. So my question is, my answer to you, I don't want to tell you what I would do (laughs) because I don't want this to come back to me. But I would suggest that you take a good hard look at your life and you say, God, this is where I am. This is what they're telling me to do. What do you say? And ask him to speak to you and ask him to give you peace and ask him to help you make the right decision for you in this situation. You might need this job. I will say to you that it looks like the job market is overflowing with opportunities and not many workers, so you could easily find another job. But if it's a high-paying job, if it's a job that you're afraid of losing, if it's a job that you love, you got to factor all those things in. Um, and, and I think that we have to respect and we have to be careful Christians to say, well, mandates are illegal right now. They're not illegal for private organizations. A private organization can mandate a vaccine. That's what they can do. They have the right to fire you for any number of reasons. So this is always the people that get so frustrated with freedom of speech being curtailed by banning people from Facebook or YouTube or or Twitter. It's not because these are not governmental entities. These are private entities that can ban whoever they want. They can serve and not serve whoever they want. Um, But the issue with the vaccine and the employer is one that is personal and you're going to have to make that decision on your own. So I can't give you a hard and fast answer here, and I'm not going to tell you what to do. I'm just not going to. Um, This is a medical issue. See your doctor, talk to them, and uh, tell them your your, uh, issues with the vaccine. Uh, What I have heard is that there are many doctors who have yet to take the vaccine. Um, And uh, my sister actually told me that her doctor only got her his son the vaccine so that he could get into freshman year in college. Now, what does that tell you? That, that, that's, that, to me, if the, if the doctors, if the pros aren't fans of it, that's not good. Uh, so go to your doctor and ask him his opinion, and maybe he'll write you up something. Who knows? Explore all the options that you can. Uh, what I think that we, we, and then, and then of course go to God. So don't quick respond to these things. Do your due diligence and find your options and explore them and then practice in good conscience what you want. Thank you for the question. Let's get to question number nine. In first Samuel 28, 15, a medium calls Samuel from the dead and he actually speaks to Saul. My husband recently lost his parents. And because of this verse, he wants to communicate with them. Is it possible or not for a dead person to interact uh, to or with the living. Okay, first of all, taking verses out of context is one of the most damning things you can do as a Christian. I don't want to say damning. That was too harsh. Damaging. <laughs> Although you can be damned to hell by taking verses out of, the, out, of, out of context. So let's talk about the verse that you're referring to and your husband is referring to that he wants to communicate with his dead parents. Okay. First Samuel twenty eight fifteen. Saul is a rebellious apostate king who God has handed over to his own selfish desires and has rejected and is most probably headed for an eternal hell. And he is losing his kingdom and he is losing his, you know, authority, all the things that he loves. And in desperation, 
he turns to a medium to get Samuel, who died, to come back <clears throat> and kind of get him out of the mess that he made. And Samuel's like, and Samuel does come back and speaks to Saul. Uh, so in context, this 1 Samuel 28, 15 is perhaps the worst verse that you could use as a proof text to communicate to the dead. Because if you're in that condition of Saul, you've got bigger problems than necromancy. Okay, you've got you've got huge problems. Uh, and so is it possible? Well, technically, it's possible. Is it commendable? Absolutely not. So we've already talked about the context. Let's talk about where the Bible clearly condemns necromancy or the divination or sorcery or spiritism that is uh, as old as Eden. It's forbidden in uh, Leviticus 19, Deuteronomy 18, Galatians 5, Acts 19. Uh, it is New Testament, Old Testament forbidden. And even in Ephesus in Acts chapter 19, when they all come to Christ, they take their sorcery books and they burn them in the fire. So summoning the dead, technically possible, biblically unadvisable and condemned. Here's the greater reason why you don't want to get dabbling into sorcery, divination, and uh, necromancy. You, as a Christian, I'm assuming you're Christians, or maybe he's not a Christian, you could tell him this. You could talk to the one who loves you more than anyone else, who died for you and rose again for you and wants to lead you and guide you through a life and welcome you into eternity forever. You could talk to him right now, right where you are as you are. Why settle for someone far less qualified to deal with your problems than that? You know, it's just, it's just to me, like, you know, I got a, I got a, I got an iPhone right here. And sometimes I'm going to be honest with you. This thing drives me up a stinking wall. Anybody with me? Drives me up a stinking wall. How great would it be to talk to Tim Cook about how to get this thing fixed? <laughs> right? Like, imagine if you just had, uh, imagine you had Tim Cook's number, the CEO of Apple, on speed dial. Boom. Yeah, Tim, I'm having an issue. The update won't work. Tell me what to do. I mean, wouldn't that be fantastic? So, you have the CEO of your life on speed dial, and you don't even need a device. You can just speak to him. That's the greater issue here for you. That's the greater, my greater concern for you pastorally. Talk to the Lord, and don't talk to the dead. It's condemned in scripture. And by the way, the dead don't even know what's going on. So don't, don't act that like they, they're not going to advise you. They're not going to give you the future. They're not going to tell you what you don't know. That is a fool's errand. And you should not do that as a Christian. The same goes for praying to saints as well. This is another issue that we have with Catholics. We don't pray to saints. We don't ask the saints to pray. Why do we ask the saints to pray? When Jesus and the Holy Spirit are praying for us, we just talked about it in Romans chapter eight, and then in, in Hebrews chapter uh, seven or 11, I forget, Jesus is interceding for us, okay? Uh, no, that's also in Romans eight. That's Romans eight, yeah. Let me get there because I love this passage and we got, the t we got time. Uh, where is it say? Verse, verse 34, who is to condemn? Jesus Christ is the one who died more than who was raised. Who is at the right hand of God? Who indeed is interceding for us? He's praying for us right now. Man, you don't need to pray to Joseph. 
You don't need to pray to Mary. You don't need to pray to Jacob. You can skip the line and get right to Jesus. Isn't that great? (laughs) I'd rather talk to the guy who runs things than one of his emissaries any day, any day. Okay. Thank you for the question. Let's continue. Uh, My question, number 10. My question is this. When we pass away, do we immediately go to heaven or do we lay asleep waiting for the return of Jesus to be resurrected into our new bodies? I have discussed this with a Christian friend a while back and said, I believe we go at the time of our death. Am Am I right though? What the scripture teaches about this? You are right. You are 100% right. This is a, uh, a doctrine called soul sleep that you're referring to, where some all the people who ever lived are still sleeping in their graves. Sleeping meaning they're just kind of like this uh, in this eternal state of, or this permanent state of uh, unconsciousness. They don't. They're not aware of it. And then at the last day, they're all suddenly conscious again. Well, of course, this is not biblical. Uh, when Paul is talking about going to be with the Lord in Philippians 1, he's saying, I, depo- I, d- I desire, actually, des- I desire to depart this life and go and be with the Lord. That's far better. But for your sake, I'll stay with you, right? And then in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, he talks about that while we are at home in the body, we are away from the Lord. But when we are away from the body, we are with, at home with the Lord. So it's not, there's no soul sleep, scripture. There's no verse that supports it, by the way. The Bible, what they do, they pick up on the term of the terminology of sleeping in the Bible, the New Testament, and they say, oh, see, the dead are referred to as sleeping. So then they're so sleeping and they're waiting for the resurrection. No, sleeping is a euphemism. It's a picture. It's a metaphor of death because when someone is dead, it looks like they're sleeping. So we don't then take that and make a doctrine out of it. It's just a metaphor. Lots of metaphors, by, in, by, by the way, in the Bible, lots of metaphors in the Bible. We don't make doctrines out of it. Like when Jesus says that you are a city on a hill, that doesn't mean the church is a city. It doesn't mean that we have to, you know, have city-like looks to us. It's a metaphor, right? When, when Jesus says, um, oh, when he says, uh, um, let me think of an, another illustration. When he says, if, so, um, if your hand causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. Okay, we all have our hands, right? <laughs> okay, we still have our hands. It's a figure of speech. He's trying to drive home a point of how dangerous and deadly and, 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 um, hellish our flesh is and how desperate we need a savior so you know this is where you get the doctrine and a lot of false doctrines are based on the metaphors or the word pictures of the bible that they really are so i bring you back to uh, the scriptures hebrews chapter 9 uh hebrews chapter 9 and i believe it is verse 17 let me take you there real quick again i love to have the bible open so you know i'm not just pulling this thing out of my hat uh, verse, no, 27. Just, here's what it says. Hebrews nine twenty seven. Just as it is appointed for man to die once and after that comes judgment. So there's no, there's no period of time between when you die and when you see the Lord. Okay. It is, there is a period of time between when you die and your body is resurrected. That absolutely is true. And that is backed up in Jesus' words and revelation and all of that. But there is no such thing as soul sleep. So you go to be with the Lord as soon as you die. Praise be to God. Amen. Let's get over to the chat. That's the last question. And I want to just see because some of you guys put some stuff up, which I want to comment on. Thank you for contributing. So just back here to the last question. Uh, who said this? Cheryl Dupree Mercier. Thank you, Cheryl. I'm a nurse and vaccinated. Good. Thank you for your contribution. I watched... 
And you watch too much crime shows. So you need a vaccination for your crime shows. That's what you <laughs> Kelly Carlson, the awful commercials you see back to when I was talking about you can't not see stuff. That's true. Yep. Uh, Stephanie Goncalves. Sorry about the butchering your last name, Stephanie. But why does he say I would judge the living and the dead? Because the living are those who are alive in Christ and the dead are those who are dead in trespasses and sins. So again, these are the, uh, the word living and the word dead word pictures. So a Christian can be dead. Their body can be dead, but they are still fully alive in, in the presence of God spiritually and their body will come back to life and rise to eternal life. The picture of hell is death. Hell and death are put together in the scriptures because that's what it's talking about. Hell is a picture of eternal death. Heaven is a, a picture of eternal life. A Christian is a member of life. A non-Christian is a member of death. Ephesians chapter 2, and you were dead in your trespasses and sins, but God Christ has made you alive. By faith you have been saved, verse 5. So those are pictures. That's why it says that. My personal opinion on the vaccine is, um, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say HIPAA. <laughs> That's what I'm going to say, because I don't want to get myself in trouble. And I don't want to get this channel banned. <laughs> Oops, maybe you know now. <laughs> maybe now you know what my personal opinion on the vaccine is by what I just said. You guys can watch the deep end last episode, too, by the way. There was some really important information there about the vaccine that I think you need to look up. The death rate of the vaccinated is going up. My personal opinion now right now about, about COVID is is simply this, guys. Take care of yourselves. Take care of yourselves. Exercise. Huge. Huge. Exercise. Um, take care of your body. Uh, take care of your mind. Pray. Seek God. Uh, vitamin C. Vitamin zinc. Don't take vitamin zinc on an empty stomach. Uh, but take your elderberry and work out. And I'm not meaning go pump iron like your own Schwarzenegger. I mean go to the go to the treadmill, go for a walk, go for a jog, get your body working. Not I've shared this on this channel. Seventy-eight percent of the ICU admitted patients for COVID were overweight, and and our country, our culture is like celebrating out of shapeness. <laughs> Like, like this is now something that's, we don't want to fat shame anybody. Why? You should be ashamed if you don't take care of your body. It's your body. It's not good for you to destroy the Lord's temple. That's my, that's my comment. Uh, and, oh, and I would say, uh, don't, don't fight your boss on masks and don't fight them on those kind of things. Just go with it. Don't be a turd. Do what you got to do to be a nice Christian. <laughs> like I do a lot of stuff on the deep end. You can't do it your job. Um, so anyway, what was I going to say? Oh, the last thing I wanted to say. I went, when I went to the hospital with my, my son, they, there's a little bit of a COVID surge. So there was a COVID waiting area. By the way, there was only like these curtained things that were only about six feet high that were blocking the COVID people from the regular people. And they're all coughing up there. And I walk by and I look in. And I'm, I, I just want to say this because it's just so important. Every single person in the COVID waiting area was overweight. Guys, take care of your bodies. I, I do not mean to condemn you. I mean to challenge you. You only get one of these. You only get one of these. 
And I'm not sitting here saying that I'm perfectly fit. I still have to work in some things. But I am telling you that this temple, this is important to me. I want it to be at peak optimal efficiency. And I don't want it to be a slave to anything. And I don't want it to be dragged down earlier than it has to be. Right? So that's my, that's your natural vaccine right there. Take care of your body. Okay. But do you think it's a method of conditioning for the mark? Somebody already asked this, Tyrion. Tyrion. And I don't. <laughs> oh, a conditioning? Yes. Absolutely, I've talked about that. I, I don't think it is the mark. Uh, I don't think that there's a, a chip inside of the vaccine. I think we get into these crazy... Oh, I got, um, I got this great uh, video we're going to do, a deep end commentary coming up called um, Paid Per Click. Paid Per Click. Because... There's a lot of Christians that are getting into the YouTube rabbit hole of conspiracy theories, and they don't realize that there is a payment to the content creator per click. So the title and the video has to really grab you, grab you and pull you in because that person gets paid by pulling you into their rabbit hole. And you got to be careful about this. So, but I don't think that it is a the mark of the beast. I do think, and and Kelly, you agree, yes, because I've talked about this on this channel. It is conditioned. The whole COVID thing has conditioned us for this. When I shared what uh, the former president of Planned Parenthood said about how they we need to make it hard for people who don't have the vaccine to live. Well, what is that? That is Revelation chapter thirteen stuff. Unless they have the mark of the beast, they can't buy or sell. We're we should be expecting this. This should not be news to Christians. Christians should be like, aha, aha, aha. The Bible is right again. We're headed right down that line of thinking. And uh, I am way over our time. Well, not way over, three minutes. But we are not to be taken aback. We are to expect these things. And as we see the day approaching, what does Jesus say? What does he say? Look up for your redemption draws nigh. Amen. By the way, what else draws nigh? The Deep Dive Bible Study with Tim, starting Wednesday nights, August 25th, 7.30. That should say 7.30. I'm sorry, 7.30 p.m., going through the Book of Romans. So that is two weeks from yesterday, and I am so excited for that, and I know you are too. Uh, like the video down below, guys. Give me the thumbs up, please. I appreciate it. It helps get the word out on YouTube. Subscribe if you aren't already subscribed. And click that notification bell as well to make sure that you're always available, always aware of when we go live. And I look forward to seeing you guys. I'm going to Peru on Sunday. Pray for me, and I'll be back the following Sunday. And then we will hit the ground running with the deep end on August 24th where we start a new, completely new, we're going to do this studio over a little bit, then we're going to do a new season, and it's going to be fantastic, and I can't wait to get to it. I'll see you guys next time on the Tim Hatch Live channel. Take care. (laughs) 